Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Way Out West Texas podcast. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our solar and uh, electric system. Uh, Shelly had posted on, I believe it was on Facebook or something, a post about our solar, and we got an incredible response. So we're going to take some of those questions that we received through the social media and kind of talk a little bit about them today? Yeah, well, what we're going to do, I'm going to ask you the questions that came in and we're going to let the brains of this outfit answer the questions. So, like always, uh, share our content with your like-minded friends. Be sure to check out our sponsors. They're the ones that make everything we do possible. And uh, with that, let's get started. Take it away. All right. One of the first questions that came through was, was it expensive to get started in our off-grid systems, whether it was solar or wind? That's a question that we see a lot. And the main reason is, if you take absolutely the way you live in a modern house and have a professional solar company come in and give you an estimate uh, it will be somewhere north of fifty thousand dollars and that's not out of line before you start looking you need to uh, start working on conserving your electricity get your electric usage down and i'm not talking about sitting around in the dark i'm talking about just conserving yeah you know when you're not in a room you turn the lights off you don't leave something plugged in that's unnecessary get the usage down and then you can go with a smaller system as far as the cost we've got approximately 12 to fourteen thousand dollars in our system and I did all the work myself. And that's over a period of several years though also. That That's in, in uh, the system we're running right now. Now the first system we built, I started out with like a $15 charge controller and a $100 inverter and two batteries and two panels that were given to me. You know, so we started out for a couple hundred bucks and... And it just grew. And it grew. And, and whenever we had the money, I would buy more panels. Or more batteries. Or more batteries. And when we would get to a point that the uh, panels were maxing out the charge controller, we would buy a bigger charge controller. And the same thing with an inverter. When we got to where what we were running for electricity was maxing out the inverter we would upgrade the inverter to a bigger better quality one and that's another question that we had does it really make a difference if you use a true sine wave or modified sine wave inverter i think it does but i'm going to let you explain why it does i think you should use a true sign it does but it don't it depends on what your what you're running in your house the difference in the two are if you look at the sine waves that 
electricity uses. It it goes down below uh, on AC current. It goes down to the negative side, comes back up to the positive side in a wave, just like a wave. That's what they why they call it. The process of the modified sine wave does not let those waves go 100% and actually cut the tops of them off where they're flat. They will run light bulbs just fine. And contrary to popular belief, they'll run most of your electronics okay because your uh, electronics actually have a power source in them that feeds the correct voltage that the electronics need. Right, but the true sine wave is better for little it is motors better. and battery chargers and stuff like Anything that. Anything with a motor, a fan, a ceiling fan, a refrigerator, a freezer, anything that runs electric motor. Needs to be on a true sine wave or a pure sine wave. Yeah, uh, most of them now call them pure sine wave. The modified sine wave will run them and they will work fine, but it will damage the motors and they won't last very long. Yeah, maybe half of what they should. So the the modified sine wave is all right if you're running lights. You know, if you're setting up just a basic system in a weekend cabin or something, a modified sine wave where you're just running lights is fine. It'll work, it's fine. And, yeah. Uh, the modified sine wave inverters versus the uh, pure sine wave inverters, they're quite a bit less expensive. They are. The the pure sine wave, you can figure about, uh, I haven't really looked that close lately, but they generally run about 30 to 40% more. Sometimes, you know, if you get the bigger ones, they get, they get pricey. They get up for $2,000 plus. All right. Well, speaking of different tools and appliances and stuff like that, one of the other questions that we had come in was, do we have special, air quotes there, do we have special appliances and are they expensive? I I think maybe they're thinking about propane refrigerators well, there and all, stuff. There are some alternate, uh, alternative? alternative appliances. Uh, we run just your standard household 110 volt appliances off of a good pure sine wave inverter. That's fridge, freezers, ceiling fans, every washing machine, microwave, everything in a modern house. Uh, some of those alternatives are there. There are propane fridges. But then again, propane is not renewable. That's something you have to buy. And the the propane refrigerators, as long as you don't damage them, will last forever. There are no moving parts to them. But the downside to it is they are very expensive. A, and don't they put off fumes also? They do. You have to... CO2 uh, detectors. Yeah, you, you definitely want CO2 detectors, and some of them require you to vent them outside, just like a, a, a heating stove or something. Uh, 
the other alternative is you can get DC direct current uh, refrigerators and freezers that run directly off your batteries. Uh, there again, they're fairly expensive and you don't really gain a lot by doing that. They are a little more efficient because you're not, as you convert from DC to AC through your inverter, there's a little bit of a loss there. You know, you, you don't have that, but it's minimal amount. Right, exactly. Well, on the subject of appliances and stuff like that, another question that was posted was, is our whole house electric, our appliances and everything? We, uh, we are 90% electric. We do have a propane cook stove. I insisted. But we do probably... 75, 80% of our cooking on electric skillets, uh, electric toaster oven, uh, the microwave some. And I grill a lot. And we grill a lot, uh, mainly because the electric appliances, that is renewable. We don't have to buy propane to run those. And our system will run them. You just can't run them after dark. Uh, you can. Oh, absolutely, you but can. But it just, it cuts down your battery storage. But like for breakfast and lunch, you know, we can do that on electric skillet or toaster oven or whatever. And I do cook supper a lot of times with the electric skillet yeah. uh, after dark. Yeah. Like I said, I just, I'm I'm mindful of how long I've got it going and, and everything so that we don't run the batteries down. Those things pull a lot of electricity. Uh, so to answer that, yeah, our whole house is electric except for the propane fired or propane powered cook stove. And we do have one small propane wall heater. Oh, in case we're gone, that's right. Yeah, in case we're gone or uh, if it gets extremely cold, you know, we may run it. I think we run it three days last winter when it was... The whole winter. <laughs> yeah, the whole winter, you know, our... All right, okay, next question. How did we do during the big freeze that uh, Texas experienced this last year? And did the weather affect our solar and wind? It, it, it's kind of funny. Uh, it affected our phone calls because we got a bunch of them. <laughs> it, it did. Uh, uh, the big deal is the controversy over the wind generators not working right and and stuff like that. Our wind generator is set up different than the big commercial generators. Oh, absolutely. We're not running through a gearbox that has a uh, heavy 90 weight gear oil in it that when it gets extremely cold, gets thick and things just don't move very easy. Ours is an electric motor. Ours is, a, is direct drive. The uh, the propellers are directly on the generator shaft. So that did not affect our wind turbine. In fact, with those storms, we had quite a bit of wind, so it actually helped us. No, we had an enormous amount of wind. <laughs> yeah. uh, as far as our solar, most people don't realize where the solar actually works the best is 
those winter days when it's uh, just a bright, clear sky, not a cloud, and about temperatures in the 30s. That's where your solar panels actually work the best. In the summertime, the heat will actually reduce the efficiency of them. Well, and so does clouds. And so during yeah. that storm when we had all of the snow and the clouds, it did uh, give us a knockout punch yeah, as it, far as producing electricity. Yeah, the days that it did snow, I designed our system so that even on a heavy cloudy day, it puts out enough to run our our uh, constants, the the stuff that runs all the time. You the know, freezer, the fridge, yeah, the ceiling fans, yeah, that kind of stuff. But uh, with a snowfall, when it covers your panels, they completely shut down. So if you live in a snowy climate, uh, as you're setting your system up be conscientious that you've got to keep the snow off of them the best you can. Well, when we were in Colorado, we actually had a a pool net that we took the net off the handle and put a squeegee on it so that we could go out every morning or every yeah. evening or whenever we needed to and squeegee the snow off of yeah, our panels. What I ended up doing, because the squeegee didn't work that good on on deep, heavy wet snow like we got in the springs up there so i got a i think it was a 12 foot painter's pole like they make to screw your uh, rollers on when you're painting the house and i put a car wash brush on it a soft bristled <laughs> car wash brush that's right and that was just part of the routine when i went out to do chores in the morning i i had it uh, i made a little couple hooks on the side of the house that that pole and brush hunting in and that was part of the routine since so i went out brushed what snow i could off and with the solar panels they do generate some heat and they're dark colored so all you have to do is get cleaned down to where some of the the dark color of the panel is showing through and the sun will melt them off just as within half an hour of hitting them well that was in colorado now yeah. here uh we don't get snow very often and yeah. so the snow did affect did affect us uh and people didn't realize that cloudy days yeah. affect solar there are a lot of people out there folks that believe that if the sun is up and it's daytime that you're producing electricity that's not always the case we uh where we actually have the most problem is during our monsoon season in the summer. We just about the time every afternoon that our panels are really getting where they're putting out their full efficiency is when these storm clouds come in. You know, we get our monsoon rain, it moves out and the sun comes out, but by the time it does, the sun's, you know, it's later in the evening, so we've we lose that peak efficiency time during the afternoon because of the storm clouds. Well, that's why and we have so many batteries. And it's almost every afternoon during monsoon season. All right, uh, another question. How big is your battery storage and the size of our home? The size of our home, we're just a little bit under a thousand square foot. 
and it's a typical normal home uh don't we don't have running water and everything yeah. the only thing we did do different in the construction specifically in mind for the electricity is every light fixture in the house is led light fixtures uh you know our kitchen light we get about 150 watts equivalent lighting for like 37 watts and i had to wire in for those lights but they too they run off of uh our 110 they're not anything and how big is our battery storage our battery storage is uh we're running 16 200 amp hour batteries so that gives uh i gotta calculate a little bit so that gives us just under 900 amp hours and an amp hour is one amp draw for one hour and most generally we can go two days without full sun before it starts affecting us but when we get cloudy days out of habit we just we go through and we shut everything off that don't need to run all right good answer okay next question how much on a typical day how much does the wind turbine make in power this is this is something that a lot of people have misconceptions about yes the wind generator is an aw awesome uh subsidy <laughs> yeah to subsidize the solar the thing is like our wind turbine is rated at 1600 watts. It doesn't start turning until two to three mile an hour wind. And it don't start making electricity until the wind gets over six miles an hour. Now that's sustained. That's not wind gust. To get that 1600 watts constantly you're talking about sustained winds of 55 mile an hour. That's a category one hurricane. No, thank you. You know, so most people think, well, you know, we live in West Texas or we live on the plains of Colorado or Western Kansas where the wind blows all the time. And it does. We've lived in all three of them and the wind does blow. But it's actually not that constant and it's actually not uh high enough to be really efficient until you get into the big commercial type wind generators that are well what's the size of our uh wind generator that you got from let's see missouri missouri Farm? wind and sun it's uh it's let's see it's got a 60 inch uh blade span which is five foot it's a three phase wild generator that actually makes three phase ac and the voltage is determined by the wind speed however the faster it turns the higher the voltage gets and then the the controller unit of it converts it back to 24 volt charger batteries 
Now, our wind generator, that is something that I love about it because our turbine is making electricity, albeit a small amount, even while we sleep on most nights because we live in West Texas and we get quite a bit of wind. We do, and this is one of the few places I've lived that generally about dark, the wind generally picks up. Usually it calms down about dark. And yeah, it don't make a whole lot, but it makes probably half or two thirds of what we use through the night because nothing's running. Right, exactly. So it is a good addition to your solar. It, it's a little help, but it, if you're limited on financial resources, you get more bang for your buck with the solar. Than you do with the wind yeah. turbine. You know, that's a great a great way to put it. All right. Next question is, did we install our solar system ourselves? We did. Uh, our initial solar that we built in Colorado, we started on it in the early 2000s. And at that time, it the the home solar was really just starting to get started and there wasn't a lot of information out there and there the wasn't ones, a lot of product available either. there wasn't you know and you could contact these solar companies and they wanted to sell you a system and come install it and so therefore it got very expensive so I had to kind of figure it out on my own and there was just enough information out there that would kind of head you in the right direction and then you had to kind of use what I call the trial and terror method and I did burn a few things up. And, <laughs> yeah, but you know. to answer that question, yes, we absolutely yes. installed yes, we, every bit of it ourselves. We, uh, we I actually installed two systems in Colorado, uh, the first place we built and then the place that our, my in-laws built, Shelly's folks, uh, we installed the solar on it also. And then we were fortunate when we moved down here that we had the proceeds from selling that property up here. So I could buy the entire system. Exactly what you wanted. Exactly what we wanted. And uh, I, I built the, metal tubing rack that the, holds the 12 solar panels and everything. Awesome. So yes, we did build it ourselves. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, uh, that kind of goes along with the next question. Uh, we are off grid. Yes. We, we're not tied to any electrical grid. Any public uh, utilities No at public all. utilities, exactly. No water, no gas. No sewer. No cable, no sewer. Yep. No electric. And so the question was, does the electric company pay us for the extra electricity that we produce? So the answer to that is going to be no, because we're not grid tied. Yeah, not for us. That is available out there. If you're grid tied. If say you're you know on utility electric right now and you want to go solar there is most states have what they call a net metering law to where you have to be compensated for the extra power you produce that goes back into the system and you do all that through your electric company now 
up front, they don't pay you. You get it in forms of a, a bill credit with most, you know, most electric companies. So in the summer, when you're producing a lot, by the end of the summer, you may have twelve or fifteen hundred dollar credit that you can use through the winter. So it, you know, you use that credit so it does reduce your bill in the winter time also. Right, but it's but not an income. It's not an income. They, uh, I, this something that you have to check with your electric provider. Every one of them are, are different. have a little different programs and a little different setups. And there are even some of the electric companies out there that will put solar on your house and you basically... Uh, it's kind of a lease-to-own type deal. Yeah, it's prorated. Uh, so you get credit for the electric you produce, then they take the lease for the panels and equipment out of that. So it, it's kind of a, I guess, a wash. I don't know for sure, but that is available too. And like I said, you have to just kind of check with your local... Uh, whoever's providing your electric for you. All right. All right, guys. We're going to take a break just a second for uh, for advertisers, and we'll be right back with a few more questions. All right. Thanks, everybody, for hanging around, and uh, now we'll get back back to what we're doing here. Well, there's not a whole bunch of questions left, but the ones that are left, uh, I thought were great questions. And uh, the one that we saw over and over and over again was, do you have to have permits to install solar on your house? And is it legal to do it on any home? This is a question we see a lot. Uh, almost every podcast we do on solar, almost every post on any of the social media. Question or answer number one, can you do it on any home in the United States? Yes, but no. <laughs> uh, you have to check with your local uh, uh, city or county officials, uh, your homeowners associations, if, if you have those. There are some, especially in some of the more upscale homeowner associations that won't allow uh, solar panels or wind turbines. That can be seen. That can be seen. And depending on how your house sets, you know, that may uh, eliminate, eliminate it. There are some uh, local governments that regulate uh, more so the wind turbines than the solar panels. But most rural areas, uh, you know, most don't have any any regulations that prohibit you from doing it. There again, check with your, your county officials. And what about the permits? Uh, We're lucky we live in an area that we didn't, it didn't require us to have any permits. Right. There are some... 
again, you, you check with your local authorities. There are some places that require permits. There are some places that require that it is installed by a licensed electrician. Uh, some places you can do all the install, but the, uh, a licensed electrician has to hook it up. You know, actually put the power to the house. And you got to stop and think also about insurance, your homeowner's insurance. Uh, if you're off grid, it is incredibly hard to get economical or what you can afford insurance yeah. because of being off grid. Yeah, and that's something else to check with. Uh, there are some insurance, homeowners insurance companies that won't cover your, your, uh, they'll drop your policy, especially the wind turbines, cause they're actually kind of like a lightning rod, you know, they're sticking up in the air and grounded real well. <laughs> you know, so there are some insurance companies that have regulations on, on alternative energy. But uh, on the permits, you need to check with your local, uh, your local courthouse, uh, your permitting offices, and find out if you have to have permits in your area, because literally county to county, city to city, it's different. Exactly, and that's with any of your off-grid building stuff. Uh, that's something you need to check especially if you're doing solar and wind. I know there's some counties that, let's see, you can't attach the solar panels to your house. I think I read somewhere. And that is a one county deal. So, you know, you need to check with your city or county. Uh, most use what they call a unified building code, which is universal countrywide. And there's actually uh, some stuff in there concerning the solar, but not very little, not very much because that was actually adopted, I think in 1984, or 1986. So solar wasn't a big deal, uh, but just check with your city, county, building association uh a lot of times it's your county assessors yeah that handles well, you that can, you can call any of these offices and most of them will be able to direct you to who it is you need to talk to most of the time if you go to the county clerk's office they pretty much are the the hub the yeah kind of the hub or the main entity in the courthouse and they generally if they don't know they know where to send they you. know where to send you or who for you to contact uh, and as shelly said uh our county and the county west of us well actually all the counties surrounding us except to the north none of them have any building codes for the rural areas. Right, and so we didn't have to have permits. Yeah, so we didn't like have to have permits, but a w word of- Caution. Caution, as you're building, 
you can buy the Unified Building Code book. Do your building according to code. The county next to us last year updated some of their county regulations and made it to where a lot of the people that were living in the, the shed to cabin, tiny home off grid could no longer do it. Yeah, it had to be, what was it, 600 uh, square feet yeah, I don't, more? Yeah, I don't remember exactly what it was, but, uh, you know, as you're building, build it to code. That way, if in the future they do change the laws, you're already to code, so. All right. Well, the next question we had was, do we heat and do we cool with our solar power system? We do cool with it. We have a... We grew up calling them swamp coolers. They're evaporative coolers. Uh, we have a large commercial one. Yeah, where we're in a desert and when it gets 118 degrees, our humidity's three to 5%, <laughs> they work incredibly well. Now, if you're in an area where the humidity stays up, they, they don't work very well. But out here, they, they work extremely well and this big one cools the whole house for about a third of the electricity that a conventional air a conditioner. conventional window air conditioner would use and does a way better job so yes we do cool so we do cool and all we do is uh you know desert living you know people have lived out here for centuries it gets cool at night, even in the hottest part part of summer, it gets down in the 70s. It was only 54 degrees this morning yep. in the house. You know, you open all the windows at night, and about the time the sun comes up, you close all the windows, and, and it stays... Close the curtains. And close the curtains, and it stays... Even when it gets up in the 110s, it stays bearable till 10 or 11 o'clock. Then we turn the swamp cooler on, and... Yeah, well, by then the sun's up and shining bright right on the panels. And... Yeah, you know, and and then we you just make a point of uh, an hour or two before sunset, you turn it off, and that gives the sun a little bit of time to kind of top your batteries off for the night. Now, what about our heat? The heat, we do not, because electric heat is basically a direct short. It is... Electric heaters using an incredible amount of electricity. You can do it. There are people that do it, but you just have to design. Well, we design, chose not to. Yeah, you just have to design your system to handle it, and then you're talking about that fifty to seventy thousand dollars system. Well, how is it that we do heat our house? Most of our ninety 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 five percent of our heat is a wood stove. It's a wood burning stove. Yeah, we. Uh, we, since we're, don't have an abundance of space, I spent probably six months researching and we found, uh, and there's no promotion here, uh, uh, a high flame Shetland wood burning stove. It's- Oh, it's so efficient. It's small, it's a small footprint. The whole thing's only about I think it's 14 inches square and 24 inches tall. Uh, and it's one of the 
highest efficiency wood burning stoves on the market and it it does pretty well now grant you we have mild winters you know but except for this winter yeah, which was this crazy past winter was you know we had several days that it it never got out of the 20s which is unusual here and it those are the days we had to turn the the propane wall heater on at night to kind of help a little bit but and need to explain that that propane wall heaters literally clear at the back of the house it is and that's we uh we put it clear at the back of the house and it it's in our office and really about all it'll do is heat the office in our bedroom and then we put the wood burning stove towards the front of the house and it does a good job with kitchen and living room. Oh, I'm I'm in love with our wood burning stove. And it heats the uh, the bedroom enough for it to be comfortable most times. All right. Well, let's move on to the next question. And I thought this is kind of a double-edged sword, you know, as far as time time involved in answering it and time involved in the maintenance. But the question is, is how much maintenance is actually involved when you're living on solar energy? Really, once the system is up and running, the maintenance is pretty minimal. Uh, the main thing is we run uh, flooded lead-acid batteries, and the biggest maintenance item is making sure that they they stay full of electrolytes and which, i clean the solar panels with a squeegee and yeah. window mop yeah and you look on our facebook pages i believe there's a video on there of cleaning the panels it's super simple you know and that's we have to do that quite a lot well we live in the desert it's well, dusty yeah we live in the desert and we get a lot of wind a lot of dust especially in the spring when we get these little 20 second rain showers that'll be just enough water drops on the panels for the dust to stick to yeah and then they look like a leopard yeah and, and that believe it or not you know even just a thin film of dust on them really affect your the output of your panels so we during the summer or during the spring and early summer we probably clean those panels once a week and uh, the water level in the batteries I check uh, during the summer when it's hot I check those about every two weeks uh, so you're talking probably average out maybe an hour a week uh, of maintenance if you go with uh, the AGM batteries or lithium ion or something like that, there's no maintenance to those. So, you know, there it's just maintaining, you know, keeping your panels clean more than anything. Okay, good answer. Next question Why did we start living off the grid to begin with? And would you ever go back to res in a home with residential electric? As far as going back to electric, there are some times, some days that 
I would in a heartbeat. Well, those but, are the days that you're trying to weld and you have to start the generator to run the welder. And, yeah. Or we've had two rainy days because it's monsoon season. Yeah, on the third morning I can't make coffee because there's not enough electricity or something like that. But in general, no, it's, you know, especially if you can get to where you can, like we were here, like I said earlier, we had the proceeds from selling our property in Colorado. So I was able to put the whole full system up and together and running at one time. So, you know, if you can do that, that's, that's more helpful. Uh, now, why did we get started living off-grid, though? <laughs> it's kind of a necessity. Okay, there's something I always say is, you know, do your own research. When we first bought our property in Colorado, we bought it, we paid for it, we moved our camper up there, we were spending all weekend, every weekend up there, and, you know, we stopped and, and was looking at okay we're spending most of our time up there it's all paid for and we're still paying rent on a house and utilities and everything else so we just jumped off and moved into our fifth wheel knowing that until we could get electric running we were going to be running off of our generator well once we got kind of lined out and I checked with the utility company to get electricity <laughs> in there. This is after we've moved up there. Yeah, this is after we're already living there and living off of our generator. It was going to be... Uh, a two-year, 24-month. Yeah, the, they said 24 to 30-month waiting period. Plus, it was going to be well over $20,000. Well, we lived... Now, lived. grant you, it was a half mile up the side of a mountain to our property. And, uh, you know, they had a deal where you prorate it and you actually sign like a five-year contract and pay it out over five years. And it wasn't a big deal as far as the financial part of it. Well, it kind of was because when we stopped and thought how much gasoline we were going to burn at, at that cost at that time uh, per gallon, how much gasoline we were going to burn in that two-year period yeah, running plus the initial cost of getting the electric poles and the electric ran there we decided that that was just not financially feasible for well, us you know we compared that to the cost of solar and even at that time solar was incredibly expensive uh, the first panels we bought were $600 for 100-watt panels. Yeah. <laughs> and now you can get 100-watt panels for 70 bucks yeah. or less. You know, uh, so, you know, financially, it was actually cheaper in the long run to go with the solar. And we didn't have to wait two to three years to get it in. You know, like I said, if we had done, if I'd have contacted the electric company before we moved. <laughs> yeah, so do you know, your due diligence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's something as you're doing your planning and stuff that uh, most people overlook things like that. 
And that, that's some of that due diligence you need to do before you make the leap, you know. All right. Well, the next question is, do you live on a remote farm or do you live in the suburbs? We live in a on a very remote farm. We're... Uh, <laughs> we're 25 miles we're, from the nearest town. Yeah. And that town has... Less than less than two thousand people. Yeah. And the next town in the other direction is twenty five miles. Just about the same. And it's only got two hundred people yeah. living uh, in The nearest town of any size is about eighty miles, and it's a town of five thousand people. Right. You know. So yes, we are. We and are. There's not a Walmart. No, no, <laughs> and there's not even a Walmart in that town. Yeah. So our nearest Walmart's. Uh, about a hundred miles in any direction, hundred, hundred twenty miles. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we live on a very remote farm. We do not live in the suburbs. No. And to go along with that question, if you do live on a farm, what do you farm? What do we farm? Anything we can. No. <laughs> uh, we we run run beef cattle. A few. Yeah, and right now it's we're building a herd so. We're we're really not even selling anything, you know. If we have anything that we want to sell, we're we're trying to barter them for uh, breeding stock or or keeping the bull calves or whatever. So we have cattle. Yeah, uh, we have uh, chickens. Oh, we have my egg making chickens. Yep. and uh, we do sell some chicken meat, and we sell lots of eggs. Lots of eggs. And uh, we raise rabbits. Yes, we have a, a fairly large rabbitry. Yeah, and we sell them as pets. We sell breeding stock. Uh, meat we, rabbits. We sell them as meat rabbits. Uh, you know, we sell you the babies you feed them out for meat. And we also do sell some rabbit meat. Uh, got a few more horses running around here than we should have. But... <laughs> Yeah, but those are our therapy. Yeah. And let's see, what else do we have? Uh, our veggie garden, which has not been very productive, so we're trying something I've seen on YouTube. We're doing... Well, you've also been taking some horticulture classes yeah. at Texas A&M. And, and uh, that's something I've, I've talked about before. Uh, most every county in the country has a... A county extension agent. Uh, those people are fantastic resources for, uh, at a bare minimum, information. Uh, our agent is through Texas A&M, which is an agricultural college. So they provide an, an astounding amount of, of uh, in-person seminars here in town online stuff and tons and tons of research papers that you can look up on their library and most of these classes are free yeah or uh, i think one of them we paid twenty dollars yeah i think twenty dollars a piece is the most we paid for one and the information that we get out of them is just yeah crazy yeah a lot of them are free a lot of them are right now the they're doing most of them virtually so they're so those are free, most of them. Uh, the ones they do in person, they did one here a while back. It was 
I think it was $15 and it was on groundwater management. Oh, and, and part they, of that $15, they tested our water. They tested our well water, you know, so, but uh, those county extension agents are fantastic. And we've learned some things and we're in a, uh, I, I guess you could call a perfect storm for uh, horrible gardening out here. <laughs> High alkali. We have sand. Uh, our ground is either sand or cleachy. Uh, our rain is minimal and very seasonal. Most all of the re uh, well water in this area is alkali. So you have to treat it to lower the pH or it just kills your plants. And gives you gas. And gives you gas. So <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're trying some container gardening, some all organic containers. And that's working well so far. So far, so good. And uh, we have a tomato plant that's been alive for two years. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see, it's final question. What do we do for TV and internet? <laughs> uh, technology has involved, evolved so much. Well, that's the problem. I haven't evolved with it. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Well, when we first started out, we had a, uh, like a 19 inch TV and a VCR player. And <laughs> that was our entertainment. We had cell phones. But uh, let's see, Shelly's phone, you had to go out in the driveway and stand in the back of the pickup to have decent service. And mine, you had to sit on the back steps of the house. If you went in the house with either one, you lost service. Right now, And at that time, they weren't smartphones. And now they put a tower, I don't know, six, eight miles away. Yeah, and today, you know, we've got smartphones we can stream, you know, we've got a smart TV. We can actually stream from our phones to our, our big screen TV. Uh, we, we do have a desktop computer, but it's rarely, it's, it's rarely on. We use our phones or yeah. our iPad yeah. for everything. The desktop is mainly just because it's record keeping for the rabbitry and stuff like that. Uh, one of the things we do, there's a local secondhand store that has oh buy second hand and save the difference hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dvds and they're like two bucks a piece <laughs> yep you know so and a lot of times we'll take some in and they give us half credit so we take 10 in and we get 10 wow. different ones for the ten cost bucks. of five yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and uh, there, there's things like that. There are some still, still some rental. Your local library. Yep, our local library. You can actually rent uh, DVDs and Blu-ray and Blu-ray through our local library. We did that for a while. But now we we stream. We yeah. have Hulu and Netflix and yeah. Roku and all that good stuff. But something you will find once you kind of get into this lifestyle you will find that you don't watch much tv we're you know we're out working in the garden we're out in the rabbitry we're pulling weeds we're checking cows we just run the brush hog or 
you know, we just, it, it's funny as you do this, you get to where you want to do more of it. You know, hey, you know, we, we ain't buying very much meat because we're eating these rabbits. It's an oxymoron, but yeah. you become more minimalist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't need, yeah, we got a 55-inch TV that's maybe, Dusty. that's <laughs> maybe turned on once every two weeks, you know, because we just, we're out till dark. We're, and we live in a climate that we can be out until dark or yeah, after dark yeah. as far as that goes. And and most of the year, uh, you know, late late December through January, it you know, it it's not as comfortable out, but the other ten and a half months of the year, you know, it's hoodie weather. Yeah, hoodie weather, <laughs> you know. Uh we run it more, run the TV more in the summertime. To but, escape the heat. Yeah, we get out at daylight and we do what we got to do and we come in about lunchtime and have lunch and... Usually watch a movie. Usually watch a movie or take a nap or something, but you just, as you're living this lifestyle, you get to where your entertainment is... <laughs> Yourself. Sitting on the front steps throwing breadcrumbs to the chickens exactly you know and it's <laughs> out messing with the rabbits you know right now we were uh all of our rabbits being born right now are our show rabbits for the 4-h kids so we we spend a more time with those rabbits to so that they're tamed down for the kids you know so any spare time i've got right now i'm out there handling the rabbits, messing with them. And and so yeah. to answer that question, then, uh, TV, we seldom watch, uh, except in the deep summer. And uh, internet, we just use our cell phones or our iPad. Yeah. And so our entertainment is our farm. Yeah. And like I said, as you get doing it, it's, you know, I started this rabbit venture my intentions were getting just a few rabbits to generate manure for fertilizer for the garden and we ended up at one time we were well over 70 rabbits i think right <laughs> now i think we're at about 38 and got three more litters due in the next, next week. week yeah you know so we'll we'll be back up 60 or so well do you recommend this life i do but i want to forewarn you there are days that it is hard there are days that it is hard physically there are days that it is hard mentally and there are days that you just want to throw walk your off. hands up and walk off <laughs> but those days are few and far between and the longer you work at this the fewer and further between they become because you get things set up, you know, in, in the initial, oh, uh, I know one thing I was watching, it said it took them seven years to get to where they wanted to be. Uh, let's see, we're coming up on five and we're about there, but we keep, you know, expanding our, our rabbitry with, with the, uh, the meat processing part of the rabbitry. We can, 
do a limited amount without any kind of regulations or a minimal amount of regulations, but to do well, any more or go any bigger, you know, well, it's not, brought another project because now we're going to have to have a separate processing area, you know, and and well, stuff not, like that. So well, there's always some expanding something. the rabbitry though. That we're <coughs> expanding everything, whether it's the chickens or an extra room on the house or a new barn. Uh, and it's just, it's an evolve, an involvement. It is. Know? And like I said, it, as you get doing it, it's like. It becomes your joy. It becomes. Yeah, and it's like you want more, you know. We built a, I don't know, a 8 by 12 chicken pen with a, the. A tiny uh, little hutch. With a little coop on it and everything. And we got six. Six chickens, one rooster, two guineas. Yeah, you know, and that was so cool. You know, now we're up to... 26 chickens. Yeah, we got 26 laying hens. No more guineas. And still got the rooster. Yeah, look back on her Facebook. That poor rooster, Shelly, did a post on it back. It's back a ways. It's one of the first posts she did. But it's called Bigger and Batter. Yeah, that, that rooster was pretty rough, but he's a, he's a fixture here. I told him he couldn't die. <laughs> Well, folks, that sums up all the questions that we have, uh, that we've gotten. If you have some for us, get on any of our social media, post a question or send us a message. We'll be glad to do another podcast and answer them for you. We'll also answer the question right there on the, on the social media. We do try to answer every question and reply to everyone that contacts us. And please do get on our Way Out West Texas Facebook page. Uh, go back through our videos. See our setup. Uh, see how come we got these questions that, that we went over with today. And we invite you to be a part of our journey. And until next time, guys, we'll see you later. And as I said, you know, be sure to, to uh, check out our social media and share our Share our content with your like-minded friends. Uh, again, Shelly said, any questions? Uh, our Facebook is uh, the best way to notify us because we're both notified of every like, comment, anything on, on Facebook. And uh, we wish you guys well on your journey and... You know, cool. So it's time to wrap it up. Shelly says the horses have come in from grazing, looking for treats. So until next time, folks, have a good day.